before coming here. Uh, but then my wife came home from work, and she's uh, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> excuse me came here with uh, thousands of Russians from the old so- from the Soviet Union, and uh, they were refugees. And I heard tonight just now. Uh, this is a place of refuge, which, of course, it is. And then uh, she came home tonight uh, with a lot of uh, humor that she wanted to share with me uh, before I left. And apparently all the Russian tra- – she works as a translator at, at uh, uh, Beth Israel Deaconess Hospital, translating for Russian – Russian between the physicians, et cetera, and, and – these people, many of whom are rather elderly and don't speak much English. Uh, and so all the translators were having a good laugh because what my wife reported to me, and she wasn't certain where this was happening, is that she thinks where it happened is in Egypt. That is, this is Russian Russians. Uh, apparently, because there's so much strife going on in Egypt, there's a dramatic markdown in the prices of some very nice resorts, nice places to swim and to bathe and to bask in the sun. So there's just a huge group of people who are uh, from Russia, 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 uh, who are there. And they have, uh, while everything is going on, gunshots and rapes and fighting in the streets, whatever, you know, uh, different parties screaming at each other and protesting. And uh, uh, they're just another part, not that far away. They're just it's like a, just a nice resort, which I got at bargain prices. And uh, my wife was, is always filling me in on how the Russians, when they arrived here, starting with my wife, uh, when they hit the airport, they hit the airport running, even if they were 80 years old. Running towards what? We're the good community. We're the good place to live, so your children and grandchildren get a good go to a good school. Where the where's the half price for senior citizens? Where concerts? Uh, going to museums? They just found out us locals. We didn't know anything, and they immediately know where everything is. In order. So apparently, there's a, a hunger for a bargain and a sale. And so she was laughing, uh, and then. Uh, I said, but you were, you were, in a sense, with refugees. She said, yeah. Then I said, from what? And she, so she said, well, we were refugees from the way certain religions and ethnic groups were treated in the Soviet Union, uh, in this case, Russian Jews, not necessarily religious, and uh, other f- people who had a f- free thinking. So, you know, it's not news to you, probably. Uh, so it got me thinking about... Um, Maybe refuge, but not offering the precepts or anything, so don't worry about it. I'm not trying to turn you into a Buddhist unless you want to be. Um, This term refuge, refugees, and Margaret just said it, introduced this place as a place of refuge, CIMC. And I realized it is. So in my mind, I was exploring that word, refuge, because with so much language in Dharma, there's different levels of meaning. There's sort of an outer outer meaning and an inner meaning. Uh, so let's say if we take Buddhist refuge, the first refuge you would take 
would be the Buddha. That would start the most outer, outward expression of a refuge would be, let's say, the statue of the Buddha up there. Uh, if you go to Asia, it's not uncommon to see people praying to that statue, much as you'd see in church here or synagogue. Um, then let's say a little bit more in, in a more of an on an interior journey, would, the refuge would be the his, this person, uh, Sakyamuni Buddha, and his whole life story, the different versions of it, uh, being inspired by the life of the Buddha and what he went through uh, and finally left as a legacy, a way of practicing which some version of which we have passed down for thousands of years. Uh, then as you go a little deeper, it's really not the statue, certainly, which they grind out by the thousands for tourists. Um, and the teachings are getting closer, verbal teachings, uh, but it's really more what the what what the Buddha's mind was like. What was the Buddha's mind? Because he says that all I am is I'm awake. I'm not a god. I'm not an avatar, etc. I'm awake, and he's saying that everyone can be awake. So then we get to this. The second is the Dharma. So on one level, Dharma would mean teaching again the uh, lawfulness there the buddha uh, buddha dharma would be the lawfulness of the world and it's in the buddha's teaching uh it's the natural truth it's the lawfulness of how nature and our mind and body it's all one law for example impermanence is something that applies to anything that anything that is created anything that emerges is subject to the law of change and so you can read about that, and you can reflect on that, and that can be very, very helpful. And there's some incredible books written on it, some are very interesting, well-written, inspiring, and then you can take it in and think about it. And then even deeper is uh, not the word so much as that now, let's say, the law of impermanence, which we teach here a lot. It's a core insight in insight meditation. Um, if you really penetrate that law, it changes your life for the better, can. Uh, but uh, very often, uh, there's well, there's varying levels of depth uh, in that, so that you can know it just as an idea, a concept, and a convincing one, and a useful one, and a brilliant one even, and so obvious and true. And then you reflect on it, you think about it, you contemplate it, and you start seeing applications all over the place. And now and then something happens, and then you bring it in, and it helps you put something in perspective. Oh, yeah, this will, this too will pass. Or you don't hold on to something because you know that it isn't forever. Uh, one teacher I had, uh, many of us had, was uh, Ajahn Chah from Thailand. And he, one of the first teachings he gave at IMS years ago, he held up a cup, and we, he says, do you see this cup? And it was a very nice cup. And he said, it's already broken. So if you understand that, he says, you understand the whole Dharma. Because out of that sense of constant flux comes uh, notions that are harder to grasp, like emptiness, insubstantiality, and even suffering. Um, and then uh, the deepest, of course, is when, let's say, this law of impermanence is so, uh, it's bone deep. You've so assimilated it 
that it's gone from being an idea and it's just like you digest food. Uh, it might be a nice dish in front of you. Well, it might start as a menu. And you see even now they have menus with pictures of all kinds of tantalizing foods. And you order one. You can't eat that. It's not nourishing. But it can point you in a direction. I think I'll get this. Then you get it and you look at it. Maybe there's a nice aroma. You start chewing it, nice taste. And at a certain point, you make it part of yourself. That is the body digests it, assimilates it, and it becomes part of our blood and all the organs and so forth. It's not too bad an example. It's a little bit similar, where an idea, uh, a journey of the idea is from merely conceptual or only conceptual to a little deeper than that as you reflect on it. That means you're taking it inside and grasping some of the significance of it. And then... um, when it's no longer, it's yours. It's not no longer borrowed from the Buddha or anyone else. It's, it's yours, and it actually helps you live because you're living in accordance with the way things are. That is, things are changing. Things are uncertain. The law of impermanence is not simply that they're changing. They're changing in ways that are uncertain. And so as that more and more becomes true, um, I think it is true. I think we have ample evidence, all of us in our lives, as that idea becomes bone deep, uh, then you're living, more and more you're living in the world as it actually is, so there's less suffering. Because you're aligned with the lawfulness, the truth of how things is, are. Uh, when you're not, then you're living, what, you're living as it, with fixations, and using Buddha, uh, Buddhist language, uh, where we fixate and solidify things in a world that's fluid and in flux and more energy and process than things. And as a result, suffer often because we're, it's a head-on collision between the, the way our minds are constructed and the way the world unfolds. And whether you understand it or not, the law of impermanence doesn't really care. It just keeps rolling on. And the law of uncertainty doesn't care. It rolls on. Now, if you understand it and then take that deeper, it turns out to be what we call wisdom and really helps us live. And then there's the sangha, the community. So now, are we all refugees here? Probably not. How many people are here for the first time? Show of hands. Okay. Uh, how many people are very new to the practice? Show of hands. Okay. Um, how could you know that this is going to be, you, you know, you haven't been, maybe you have an intuition, but let's say there's this place, there are many other meditation places, there are, uh, there's a couple of Zen centers and there's some Tibetan places, and, but it, for some of us, it becomes a place of refuge, that is, becomes a community of like-minded people, and you take refuge just by coming here because uh, you've put in hours sitting here, you've uh, allowed silence, You've soaked up silence. Uh, and people will say, I can feel the vibrations, the peace. Maybe. I hope it's maybe it's true. Probably it is. But then you know, people trained over at MIT with kind of the eyebrows maybe go up. You know, you have vibrations, right? It's all in your head. You're making it up good. It makes you feel good to be here. That's what counts. And so, and even if you push it, uh, make that a little bit more exterior, uh, you're walking, you're outside where there's a lot of cars and trucks and ambulances and fire trucks and 
uh, businesses and politics, all kinds of things going on. And you come and we have a fence around the center. That fence was not here originally. And, in fact, when uh, we started the center, uh, the Cambridge Council uh, called me on the carpet and scolded me because we just we put up the fence. And they said that uh, uh, this was uh, this is a, a, an old house. This is a very old house, and that uh, we were defacing it. It was like a, a treasure, and that by the message was we're keeping people out. And I said, "Well, that's how you took it. I'm sorry you take it that way. Of course, the fence is already up." Uh, I said, "But the intent is not to keep people out because it's open to the public. It's to when they come in." to try to, from, from the point of view of, of the external aspect of living, ha- begin to pacify the mind. Plants are growing. We have a few Buddhas in the gardens. Uh, we try to make it as clean and pleasant as we can. Then you come inside, so you're going a little deeper. Uh, then there's a library in the dining room and place to have tea. But then we, this, is, this is really where the silence is practiced again and again and again for going on 28 years. So, uh, and if you come here, and there are some people who come here a lot and get to know here, even people who get married who come here, and some even get divorced after they've gotten married here, (laughs) just not to give you unrealistic expectations. (laughs) Actually, both can be good, you know, depending on where you are. Um, so the Sangha is a community of people, and the, everything is kind of giving us refuge. What is, what, what is a refugee? Well, um, you're trying to get, when I asked my wife about that, just the, we wanted to feel safe. We didn't feel safe in the Soviet Union. Uh, so a refugee is someone who is coming from someplace that is dangerous, not safe, into a place that is where they can, they come here and then no one's trying to shut them up or kill them or something of that sort. Political refugees and so forth. This is all familiar to you. Um, so how are we refugees? Is it that, let's say you, f- you really like this practice and the teachers aren't too bad either and you like the ambience and uh, sometimes on retreats you even like the food and you're vegetarian, it's nice and there's nice tea in the tea room. Uh, do you meet, are you supposed to spend your whole life here? Because out there is people are trying to kill you. It's not that level of danger, although it can be, as we know, uh, the marathon. Uh, so now we're starting to move more deeply. Starting to move more deeply. From the refuge being a historical person, for it being a set of uh, concepts that are intelligent, and wise and presumably or attempting to be helpful to minimize and even eliminate human suffering. Methods and techniques are part of that to help us do that, to help ourselves do that. And then a community of like-minded people because um, the core of what's being asked here, as those you've been here know, is you're being asked to look at yourself. And that's not something we seem to like to do. We We think it's great but you do it. It's a nice idea. Know thyself. But it's being asked, and it's not like you can't cherry pick. It's not, well, I don't mind looking at this kind of stuff, but I don't like that 
oh, fear is coming up. I better get away. I don't want to look at that. And so uh, you can escape that for a while, but if you come here with some regularity, teachers inevitably are, are going to help you, to point, your, point you to just exactly what's happening and uh, encourage you to look at fear, to look at loneliness, to look at anger, to look at what, whatever it is you don't want to look at. Love. Some people don't want to, are afraid of love. Sounds strange, but I think we understand that. Um, it helps uh, for some people immensely, and for mo uh, most of us at a certain stage, tremendously, to have support, to have other people over here doing the same thing. So it's, these are all outer supports. Uh, so that what is it that we don't feel safe in? What is it that the problem is? Where are we? As we go deeper and deeper, it turns out, and you don't accept this, but this is my understanding of the teaching, certainly in my own life. Finally, uh, the deepest refuge, the real refuge, the only one that's truly reliable, is awareness itself. What? It, this is great that we're a community, but communities change. People move away. You move away. Uh, teachings are nice. Everything is nice. The methods are great. Um, they take you somewhere. But finally, you may find as um, not, there's different language. There's different language for it. I happen to like the term awareness, or I feel the entire teaching of the Buddha put in very different, more modern language is a return to the source. Uh, that is, we're living on the fringe of consciousness, or put another way, completely pure consciousness. A pure being awake is that. Delusion, the Buddha talks about as the source, the, the source of, of human suffering is delusion, not seeing things as they really are. Uh, a mind that has freed itself of all of its preoccupations, its aversions, its cravings, and is clear, and that's what the practice is designed to do, that mind, uh, that's the sanctuary. And so that has nothing to do with necessarily being inside a gate or not, uh, having people who support you or not, uh, even being literate or not. I've known two, one, one person from Sri Lanka and one from Korea, who were illiterate. And why did people, I know the one from Korea, but the best, uh, why did people come from all over Korea to, to, to be with him? He literally was illiterate. Literally was illiterate. Okay. You can see I'm overly literate. All right. Um, because he knew something. And why did lawyers and professors and doctors and all kinds of educated people climb up this mountain and live under very primitive conditions? Uh, to be with this gentleman uh, because he knew something else. And it was obvious. It's obvious that he did. Uh, but he thought the world was flat uh, and you couldn't convince him otherwise. Uh, so he was ignorant. But in the Buddhist teaching, finally, ignorance is ignorance of yourself. Uh, in other words, if you've memorized every book in our library, and I think it's not a bad library, uh, but you don't know your own heart, your own mind. From this point of view, you're still ignorant. You're, you're collecting menus. 
the whole point of study and reading, and even people like myself, is to get you to look into yourself. Because that's where the refuge is. That's the only one that's reliable. It's beyond the psyche, though. You're not going to find it in fixing up your psyche, which is necessary if you have big holes in your psyche. So, but uh, if you think you can set up house in your psyche, improve your personality, and that will be your refuge, give it a try. I don't think so. So we're going beyond whatever it is we think we are. Those are all notions, ideas in our head. The story of me and my life, starring me, they're all, these are all ideas, concepts. But they're so uh, convincing and we're so addicted to them that we uh, projected these ideas out from our life experience and then believing in them and then we were relating to that as if it is the world, the reality. And everyone is seeing the world in a somewhat different way. There's a, an old uh, a Chinese uh, saying that, let's say, if you're very unhappy, you see the moon as the man in the moon, which they, at that point, is frowning. If you're very happy, you see the moon smiling. If you're drunk, you know, you're not even sure what, what the moon is. So then which one is real? None of them are. They're all different ways in which the mind makes up something about what's happening. And so much of our life is that, useful, necessary, helpful, but limited. So when I say, finally, the, the real refuge in the Buddhist teaching, all, this, all the steps along the way are useful. I'm not saying burn this place down and uh, let's d don't ever be in a community, just sit alone at home by yourself and be a... Uh, you know, uh, don't be a wimp. Just meditate all by yourself. You don't need any help. Now you don't need books. You don't need anything. It's all in you. Don't w good, good luck. Okay, so all of these are helpful. But I think what you may find as you go on and as the mind becomes more and more refined, you start seeing the limits of certain things. They've taken you this far. And then they, it's not that you drop them. It's like they, they drop you. They, they, they just as you know we're not let's say if you have a little toy toy gun I remember I had a certain toy gun and if you tried to take that away from me when I was four years five something like that I would fight to get keep that gun but let's say uh, at age let's say now <laughs> if, so, if someone gave me the gun and said this is your toy gun Larry remember it from when you were five I said oh sure it's cute look at that and he said give me that and I said, no, this is my gun. <laughs> I don't think so. We, outgrow, you know, we see through it. And there's some virtue in aging, by the way. It's not all bad news. Uh, clearly the body does certain, some doubters here. All right. Uh, well, see if this is so for you. In my aging, what I've seen is a lot of pettiness falls away naturally, whether you're a meditator or not. You just have a, a different perspective. You just see like... What was I making such a fuss over, over that? It is so trivial. But we didn't feel it when we were 19. Or when we were in love. You know that one? That's okay. <laughs> Don't rub it in. Um, so then, now, to the egoic mind, which is the mind that we all start with, which is prominent at this moment for all of us, Except me, of course, because I'm the teacher. Uh, 
the, the egoic mind that, let's say, just hears this, awareness is the final refuge, and it's finally who you are. That doesn't sound so interesting. I mean, it's like I'm coming here for all this so I can become nothing. Because self, self-knowledge, self-understanding <coughs> is finally you finding out who you aren't. Like, at the beginning, it's finding out who you are. Oh, I, I didn't know I was such an angry person. Oh, I didn't know that I, I had this in, in me. I didn't know. But little by little, as you go on, you realize you're finding out that none of them, in a profound way, are really you. And as the attachment, the identification falls away more and more and more. So it's sometimes called a way of negation. Everything falls away upon being seen clearly. And then what's left is true. And it's not that you're an amnesiac or a prefrontal lobotomy survivor. Uh, I don't have any memories or any thoughts. I'm, I'm a Buddhist, and, but I don't know that red and green mean different things when I'm driving. Uh, it, you're more astute because you channel this clear mind through your equipment. So if you're whatever your work is, that would get expressed that way, whatever your gifts are. Or, or lack of gifts, or the physical condition, or whatever it is. Um, so it's not that you're trapped inside. It's not just concentration. We exclude things. Rather, as you start to taste this awareness and, and realize, if, if I say, you know, the Buddha only used one term for it. He didn't try to describe it, because it's beyond words. Luminous. It means... It's not a bad word, but to whatever small degree I've tasted it, it's like the world enlightened. I don't like the term enlightened. I prefer awake. But it, in this case, it might be helpful. Uh, things are illuminated because the mind is something. I don't have a vocabulary. I don't know if the vocabulary exists uh, because there have been many attempts over thousands of years in the different traditions. Um some poetic kind of twilight language, it's called in Dharma language, where certain poets can use language to go a little bit beyond the limits of language, to tap language, but also to get closer to hinting at something that is before words. So um, now if you taste that refuge, that has nothing to do with whether you're in Egypt or Russia or... I, it may have been Turkey that were, where these Russians went on the beach. I'm not sure. Is there, are there beaches in Turkey? Does anyone know? There are. Uh, yeah, it may have been Turkey. Excuse me, Egypt. Uh, because what, what was going on is there were a lot, it probably was, lots of refugees are pouring in from Syria. And there's also fighting going on. It's spilling over into, into Turkey. And Turkey has sided with the, um, anti-regime people. And so you have the Russians in one part, not that far from the fighting, with incredible bargains at luxury hotels, and everyone else is killing themselves off or has run away from a nightmarish existence, and they're living in in makeshift communities. Uh, So what I'm saying is this refuge has nothing to do with place or time or religion. If, if someone says to you, well, we have, you know, our practice, we, we have a monopoly on this, let's just call it awareness or emptiness or uh, 
ultimate consciousness, uh, they probably don't know what it is. Because the clarity of it, there can't be any anything that humans have constructed in it, by definition. Or if it's in it, you see it for what it is. It's just made up. Whereas this has no culture in it, no conditioning. It's not impermanent. It's not permanent. It's beyond that opposition. It just is. And it's here right now in this moment. These are the teachings. For those of you who are new, you may not want to come back, but I can't help it. I'm tired of talking about, you know, one plus one equals two. You know, we, do we have to baby everyone? You know, sort of like, be a nice person, don't rob, don't steal. Of course not. You get that everywhere. Everyone knows that, even though we don't do it. That's why we have these commandments and all the rest of it, because no one's doing it. But to some degree, it's keeping us in check. So uh, wouldn't that be nice just to let's play an imaginary game if uh, there was a real source of real peace, real, all those words, very limited, but I'm doing what I can. Uh, that is, it's not limited to any, where you are or how old you are or the condition of your body. Um, it just is. And every, if you get born, you have it. All of us in this hall sitting here have it. Then why don't we know it if we don't? You may have had glimpses of it, but not recognize that you're beginning to taste something. Like it's begin between thoughts or between breaths or suddenly maybe have 30 seconds of real silence and there are no problems because you're not there. Or let's say in nature, you look at something and it's so beautiful that it shuts down the ego for 30 seconds. The beauty overpowers the ego. And to really see beauty, if you're, if yourself, if it's me looking at the beauty, you're not fully seeing it. And that's part of why we're drawn to beauty. When it's real, real beauty is that uh, the ego is given a rest. Uh, it can when it's, when it's that deep. So it might be nice, you don't have to agree with me, if <clears throat> it's portable or if this place of real sanctuary is not on the beach somewhere, it's not even at CIMC, uh, it's not in Asia, it's not in North America, it's not limited to even to people who call themselves Buddhists. But these, world, these notions and groups that have been made up are useful. That's why they've persisted. They also become useless or harmful because they're misused. So it's not to, to not have places like this, but to use them to go beyond attachment to place, sense of me, my story, uh, all of it, uh, to finally the inner, in, in this tradition, in Theravadan Buddhism, it's often called the unconditioned. So much of what our practice begins with is what is conditioned. Those of you who have been practicing Vipassana for a while, we're developing the mind so it's steady and clear, and it can see different moods coming and going, different images coming and going, the body changing, uh, observing. We're developing the art of pure observation, or it's not grasping, not pushing away, just clear seeing. And it's this clear seeing that takes us to this place that's always been here, which isn't a place. Um, I'll tell you what, uh, this is even going to sound even stranger. You know, we use the term, this came to me a little while ago, falling asleep. You fall asleep. If you try to go to sleep, does that work? 
I think I'll go to, give me, what are the steps, you know, give me, when we try to fall asleep, it's counterproductive. I would say you fall awake. When you stop trying to be this, to get rid of that, to improve that, to get here, this is not good, I could be better, I, why am I not, why is he, he, she, it, then, you know, and we watch it all. Enjoy the show. If you do it for a while, you'll enjoy, you'll see there's a fantastic show going on in the mind. Incredible. Contradictory, idiotic, beautiful. Uh, Adolf Hitler, Mother Teresa, they're all living in there. They don't, they don't care. You know, it's, they're, they're just when they're in there, they're, they say, I'm you. Yeah? Oh, great. Mother Teresa, wonderful. Then Adolf comes along and says, no, I'm you. Bad. Get down there. Uh, we don't like that one. But which one is true? None of them. Is when a drunk looks at the moon, when a happy person looks at the moon, when a, a sad person looks at the moon, we're, in a sense, making up stuff. Uh, people who are really helpful, one of the reasons they are is because they're simple, simpler. That doesn't mean simple-minded. It means they're able, and they're enabled to render the mind simple and clear and natural and just see things, whereas very often the mind is so busy with itself, worrying about itself, trying to improve itself, reliving the past, changing it, uh, making up a future which will never be here. And meditation is to cut through all of this. How do we cut through it? Uh, here the language can be interesting. Uh, in Thailand, I spent a lot of time with, uh, I practiced with Ajahn Mahabua. He was sort of, he could easily have been a Marine Corps drill sergeant. It's sort of like the, the Kalesas. Have anyone heard of the Kalesas? If not, you will. They're the, like they're called the, the, the three poisons in my greed, hatred, and delusion. Uh, there's a tendency of the mind to want, 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 want. You want to call it greed? Okay. The tendency in the mind to not want, to not aversion, in the extreme to kill, and delusion for the mind to just be confused, in conflict, unclear not really seeing at all. And he would say, take no prisoners, kill those kilesas. You know, when I first heard that, I was in the military. I thought, thought I was done with that one. You know, I thought this is Buddhism, nice and gentle, and sort of kill the kilesas, cut their heads off. You know, he didn't mean take out a machete. And it, uh, it was his way of saying, these, these, these are dangerous, these mind states, and most of us don't see it that way. Certainly in our culture, greed is, in, greed is good. What was that movie, Michael Douglas? Wall Street. Wall Street, yeah. Then he finds out it isn't so good, but then it's good again. I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> um, but then you go to Thich Nhat Hanh, and his view is befriend the Kalesas, love the Kalesas, embrace the Kalesas. Well, wait a minute. Then I felt, which one is true? I think they're both trying to get to the same place. Uh, I would say... The, the advantage of uh, Mahabua is by pointing out they're like snakes, you've got to cut their head off. These are the way he would speak. Uh, is it wakes you up to the fact that this stuff is going on, but you haven't really taken it that seriously. Um, but the weakness is you then get into a war with yourself. And I would say most of us start off that way, and then he corrects you. So he sets you up, but then he's not, he's not stupid. You know, he sets you up, and it becomes mindfulness again. Thich Nhat Hanh is trying to go against that when he saw Westerners get in, get very much into struggle and achievement and ambition. 
and so he would use a, a much gentler, kinder. Um, but even there, he's not saying get identified with it, get tra trapped in it. Uh, my own preference is just to become aware of it. Uh, that means it's the art of clear seeing, which they would agree, in my opinion. Uh, that means seeing clearly, accurately, that means a seeing that doesn't grasp, that doesn't push away, that is not for or against anything, there's nothing next. Uh, the seeing itself is its own fulfillment. It's not seeing in order to be less stressed out. The, the fact that stress diminishes is, is a byproduct. You could say a positive side effect of the seeing. But if you're trying to use awareness, let's say, to not be stressed out, you're compromising the quality of the seeing because you have a motive that wants to get something out of it. It's not a business deal, in other words. So that's what I mean by uh, falling awake. If you can just relax but stay awake and allow things to reveal themselves and you watch them arise and pass away and um, maybe you'll find something that I didn't. At a certain point, you don't. it's very clear that when the Buddha says these uh, ephemeral comings and goings, how can they be you? Because... Uh, you identify with them, you put energy into them, and then you're convinced that it is you. But then it's gone, and then something else comes along. Well, which one is it? Well, there are many which ones. And at a certain point, you enjoy the show. You realize none of them are. And then you just relax and allow this the mind to kind of spew out all of its stuff, some of which has been in the basement for who knows how long. And the whole history of the human race is in our brain. For, you know, our, our parents and their parents and their parents' parents, you know, slightly different versions of it, depending on where you come from. Um, so in this approach, finally, the refuge is awareness itself, um, which is not subject to any of the things I've been talking about. Now, is there danger in that? There is, but it's not awareness's fault. It's that we now make this something else to strive after. For example, if this is new to you, I just gave you a new, fresh way to suffer. Just to, You came here to get rid of it. You had uh, nine ways in which you suffer. I just gave you a tenth. Because, you, oh, that sounds great. Or maybe it's great. I'm going to get me a piece of that, their awareness. That, uh, that you, can't fall, you can't fall awake. That's trying to get something. It's just the other way around. It's just be who you are, see it, and allow that to... The mind empties itself little by little, and you find that something has always been there. It's like the background, like the space in this room filled up with us. We're not concerned with space. We're looking at each other, listening to each other. Um, so I guess I've moved a long way from uh, the Russians and the uh, going to... I think it's Turkey. <laughs>